I'm Aria Grossman. And I'm Alex Drucker. Welcome to the Corem Podcast. Every week on the Corem Podcast, we invite you into the conversations with some of the Jewish world's leading thinkers, leaders, educators, and us to discuss the key issues, the ups and the downs, the challenges and the successes facing us today. This is not a podcast about books, but about what's happening off the page. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome back to the current podcast. Uh, as we do every week, we've got a very special episode for you. Um, we've been joined by the wonderful Dr. Daniel Rose, who is the uh, editor um, of the Magaman Edition Koran Educational Sidurim series, uh, as well as the Magaman Koran Youth Haggadah. Um, and the three of us, myself, Aryeh, who is here as always, uh, and Daniel, will be having a conversation, um, talking about our own personal thoughts, feelings, experiences, uh, how to run meaningful and engaging Sidurim, uh, trying to... Well, help ourselves as well as, as you, the listener, um, to have um, an engaging and exciting and a meaningful Seder and Pesach. Um, so, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Um, why don't we start off by the three of us, I suppose, uh, just introducing ourselves, uh, who we are, where we come from, um, and our experiences, what qualifies us to uh, have this sort of discussion. Uh, so, Daniel, why don't we start with you? Well, hello there. So I'm Daniel Rose. Uh, I am an educator. I've been an educator since the age of 15. I became a Madurek. Um, I've had wonderful opportunities to do all sorts of things, teaching high school, teaching gap year programs, working for Corin, developing educational Sudarim, working for the Office of Rabbi Sachs. Um, and uh, and um, I published last year with Corin the Corin Youth Haggadah, which I'm very, very proud of. Um, and I'm hoping that some of the people listening will have that in front of them. This Pesach. I'm Aria Grossman, and you may know me from the Koran podcast. Uh, I'm a member of the Koran team here in Jerusalem, um, but before that, um, I'm originally from London, where I was grew up in Bnei Akiva as a Madrich, and then Rosh Sniff, or Sviva as they call it, and Rosh Machaneh. Um, and uh, then after that, um, I worked in Yavna College High School and um, trained as a Jewish studies teacher there. And I did that for three and a half years before moving to Israel. Um, and then, as I'm sure we'll talk about, um, I also play the role of educator um, to uh, my children in, uh, in our home. Um, so that's my educational experience. <laughs> Alex, sorry to interrupt you before we hear about you, but I should say that that is actually my biggest claim to fame of being the father of five children. But as an educator, I think that's probably the most uh, important role that I have as an educator is to educate my own five children who range between the ages of 18 and 7. So I'm Alex Drucker. Uh, you may recognise me also from the current podcast. Um, also from London, although I think the three of us are able to give a, a varied view, um, despite the fact we sort of we all grew up uh, at different times, all uh, right, steady there. Different parts, <laughs> uh, you know, different different times, different parts of London. Um, but also grew up in Bnei Akiva. Um, I'm the son of a teacher, the brother of a teacher. Um, I uh, myself uh, also worked in education. I was uh, I worked in informal education at another high school in London called JFS. It's um, one of the largest Jewish schools in the world. Um, after uh, working there, um, I spent two years in Hong Kong uh, doing community work there and then made Aliyah 
um, four and a half years ago. Um, and I also now work for current publishers. Um, and uh, like Daniel, who is the uh, educator to his five children and Arie to his two, um, I'm the father of three children, um, ranging in age from eight to three and a half. Um, so to interrupt you one more time, which is becoming a theme I see here, I will try not to do it anymore. But I think um, to jump in a little bit with our messages, what we think Pesach is all about, I, I really believe that while we've all got educational experience, for me that's such an important idea is that every parent in the world is an educator. Before this global pandemic, it could be that we, we didn't realize that. But now I'm sure that all of us uh, have experiences, perhaps frustrating experiences, about involved being involved in our children's education but it's a primary element of our role as parents and so you know uh, as far as i'm concerned with with three parents talking about pesach and say tonight rather than anything else right i i think as well like it'll become clear over the course of our conversation that even though the three of us have relatively similar backgrounds i think where we've all ended up and are we have i think quite varied views about what uh what education in the home should look like. I'm sure there's a lot of overlap as well, but I think we do sort of differ in, in certain regards um, what education in the home should look like, especially around Pesach, where I think everybody sort of does have a focus on on what it means to teach their children and what it means to run a Seder. And not just for children, just as well, just to have a meaningful Seder, um, either as a family or, you know, with friends, if, if we're able to do that. Um, but, you know, let's uh, let's jump into it. So I think... Uh, maybe the first the first question we should uh, answer um, is what what is a meaningful seder? I think we you know our listeners are pro- hopefully are all familiar with what a seder is, but what does it mean to have when we say a meaningful seder? What what are we talking about? I think it's a great question to start off with, but I'll also say is that I think it's difficult um, to be able to tick a box and say yes, that was a meaningful seder. Um, I'm, I, I am one of those people that um, I think definitely in the in the world of education um, and something I learned, I guess, from being in the world of, in, of schools and formal education is that it is important to have um, like clear aims and goals um, and outcomes um, of what you are trying to achieve in any educational experience. Now, I remember when we were Madrachim and B'nai Akiva, so the first thing they'd say is when you're planning your pu'ulah, when you're planning an activity, so what are the aims? So you'd like scribble something down. Um, but the idea of having an aim or, or a target for any educational experience is that at the end, you can look back and say, well, did I actually achieve what I set out to do? Um, so I think that... Um, well, if I, sorry, if I can interrupt then. I, I, I didn't, so someone, I, we'll talk about this as well. You know, yourself and Daniel... Both are like very highly trained in formal education. Myself, not. Um, you know how how do you decide what your aims are going to be? You know, if you're teaching a maths class, then you can say like the aims of the class, the, like my students should know whatever the eight times table. So when it comes to Seda, it was something a bit more abstract. How how do, how does one go about sort of establishing what your aims are going to be? Well, that's what I'd say. I think the the. Uh, 
maybe again i don't know i, I i'm not going to turn around and wave a flag and say yes this was a mean i i've had a meaningful seder and you haven't so i can tell you how to have one but i would think that the the best place to start in order to create a meaningful seder experience is to think about who are going to be the people sitting at your table and over the course of the night where do you want them to start and where do you want them to finish and that can will obviously completely vary depending on who is leading the seder who's sitting at the table what's appropriate and so no two sadarim will have the same aims and um you know and, and targets but i think it's really important to you know like it could be that you know the the aim for this family seder is that everyone has a great time and everyone stays awake um and that's a fairly easy uh, outcome to measure by the end um or, or you might say you know this year seder night we want to focus on this particular theme of Pesach that we want to go through. Because I think the worst, the worst Sadarim, <laughs> um, of course, I'm not speaking from experience. The worst Sadarim are sort of where like, it just like drifts, like you like drift through Magid and then someone like happens to see something interesting. And then someone ends up reading like a 20 page essay on something while everyone else like is flicking like plastic frogs across the table. And then no one really wins. Um, so I think the idea of having like a common aim is to say, this is what, you know, this is what I want. Well, this is what we want everyone to have achieved or a point reached by then. And then at the end of the night, you can say, not actually say out loud, but just think, you know, did we achieve that? And if you did, then you're going to feel like. This I, 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 I think that's a brilliant way of looking at it. Um, I think that all education needs to take itself seriously enough that we start with aims. And I think, to, you know, we I think we're all proud of our formal education experience that I think does that. Um, I don't think anyone should think that informal education is like, you know, fly by the seat of your pants and you just, you know, turn up and, and, and rely on the charisma of the madrecha. That's not, that's not what happened in my day. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't believe that's what's happening now. So to, to have a thoughtful, meaningful, um, uh, intentional education is the ideal. To do that on Seder night, I, I agree with you, Ari. I think it's a brilliant way of looking at it. What I think is that the Haggadah does it for us. I think the Haggadah is a paradigm of best practice in, ed- in Jewish education. I'd call it experiential education, which is a term that we often use for informal education. But as a, um, I remember I was a teacher at Emmanuel College in, in, uh, in London, a colleague actually of Alex's father. And a teacher to my wife. Oh, that's right, of course. And I taught Alex's wife. So she's the kind of student that actually taught me my, what I taught her. It's a cliche, <laughs> but it's true. But it's true. Um, and, uh, and my head of uh, department, the head of Jewish studies there, a shout out just in case he happens to be listening, or one of his family, it's Rabbi David Domsky. He once paid me the ultimate compliment. I don't know if he meant it as a compliment. He said, I feel like taking the sign on my door down that says head of Jewish studies and putting up Rosh Machane, uh, because I had brought all this kind of uh, craziness and madness or informal education, experience education into the, into the school. And that for me is what good formal education is as well. It can also be experiential should be experiential in the classroom and then within you know outside of the classroom but within the the the, the campus of the school so say tonight Lel said there with the help of the Haggadah is the ultimate experience of, of experiential education and the Haggadah itself tells us how to do this and it gives us our aims every single person in every generation has to see it as if he himself went out of Egypt we have to experience Yitzhak Mitzrayim on the night of Seder night. And that's why we spend all this time doing stuff, like like doing rather than just reading or learning. Um, the, 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 the Seder experience, we don't use the verb to learn. We don't, it's not 
it's not Kriya, like Kriya um, Megillah or, or Kriyat Torah. Uh, we do, it's not Limud, it's not Limud Torah. It is Sipur. It's telling a story that is experiential. Um, and that's why we spend our time eating and, and, and dipping our fingers into things and, and asking questions. The whole evening has to be as experiential. So for me, a meaningful Seder is where everyone has had an experience so they are different from the beginning of the evening to the end of the evening. And that's why, one last thing, before I let someone else speak, that's why, you know, right at the beginning, it says, uh, even very wise people who've done this every year for 100 years, and they know every single parish and everything there is to say on the Haggadah, they still have to do this because it's not about learning, it's about experiencing. And every experience is new every year. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think, you know, this isn't, the, the intention of this podcast isn't to sort of plug plug books and to, uh, you know, to serve as an elongated advert. But I think the, your Haggadah, Daniel, the, the Magdalene Edition Koran Youth Haggadah, um, like does a very good job um, at sort of pointing out like the opportunities for experience. Because there is a certain amount, you say like the, the Haggadah serves as like a, a scaffold um, from which we build build out the like experiential part of the Haggadah. And I think the Youth Haggadah does a really good job of sort of pointing out to both a child who might be sitting at the table using it or an adult who might be looking at it beforehand or sitting at the table using that Haggadah, sort of showing the experiential things. There's some really excellent, like, pointed questions of how would you feel if, or, ha- like, if put, your, put yourself in the position of a Hebrew slave in Egypt. Like, how would you react? Um, and I think that's, like, a really... I think what you're saying about, like, the Haggadah being a paradigm of, of Jewish education, of being experiential. Um, and one of the things we used to say... You know, if you're going to shout out to a, a former head of department, so will I, um, someone who I hope is listening, um, which is uh, to the person who is uh, who used to run the department I worked in, uh, Rabbi Mark Kampf and, and Zach Jeffy, um, when they were talking about like what is informal education. So Ari has mentioned sort of the formal points sort of cho- deciding on your aims and working towards them and whether or not you can measure them. Like what's the aim of, of informal Jewish education is this idea that like, um, you know, if one person if you take a maths exam one person gets an a plus and one person gets a d the person who gets the a plus is a better mathematician they just they are better at math but if you're sitting in a Jewish studies class and you take a test and one person gets an a and one person gets a d that doesn't mean the person with the a is a better jew and the informal education is sort of sort of showing uh you know it, it's bringing like judaism to life and understanding it and, and living it um, and as you say, you know, the, the Haggadah does that, that you're, first of all, you're taking part in a ritual that people have been taking part in for thousands of years. And you're talking about things that were uh, like part of our history. And you're talking about, and there's Sukkim and there's Mishnayot and there's all these things to discuss and taking, pull, pulling from all different parts of, you know, liturgy and history and, and everything that there is to do about that. But then, as you you know, it's in the home, I think, or it's, you know, with a family or it's in a, it's in a group. And the Korban Pesach was like that as well, that the Korban Pesach, was, Korban Pesach was eaten, in a, had to be eaten as part of a group. Um, There's this, this, this idea that, like, Seder and Pesach in particular um, is like an actual, it's, a, it's an experience of, like, of learning, an experience of, of, uh, of sort of Jewish engagement and i think that does open itself up to being much more meaningful so i think alex the point you made about um sort of you know experiential jewish education is that is the chance to say you know there isn't one person that's better than anyone else and it actually reminded me 
Um, this will yet again shock Daniel for sure. But I was watching last night on Netflix a new documentary about Pele. Um, the Isn't that like footballer? And, <laughs> and, uh, and something that Pele said was that before, when he started playing football at a really young age, his father, who was also a footballer, was known, he was nicknamed Dondinho. So one of the, the key pieces of advice his father gave him was he said, on the football pitch, everyone is equal. There's no, well, you came from a rich family, you came from a poor family. It's everyone on the pitch is equal. And I think that if we look at Sadenite in the same terms, that Sadenite is a playing field, is the pitch. And everyone who arrives at Sadenite is equal. There isn't, well, you're young. And so you're less relevant to this story than the older people, or you have less of a role to play here than the older people, or you have more experience with Judaism or Jewish knowledge. The the idea, the point of Yetziah Mitzrayim, and and like Daniel said before, the point of everyone should feel like that that they left Mitzrayim was that there was no differentiation between the Jews that left Mitzrayim, the entire nation left Mitzrayim. So in the same respect, when it comes to say tonight, it's a level playing field. It doesn't matter who you are, and the Jewish people. It's the, the playing field is open for you to come and 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 take part. That's a beautiful idea. I love. First of all, I love that you got it from Pele and, and, and football. Um, I, I tell you what, I think that's a beautiful idea because the whole Sadenite revolves around the children. We elevate the children to be set front and center. Now we do this with much of Judaism, and we do it naturally at our own Friday night, you know, Shabbat tables. But here it's halacha. It's 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 kind of legislated that the children are front and center. But if there are no children, we don't stop. The whole evening isn't just for children. And we're all children. So, and I guess Alex started with this idea. And I remember my, what well, we're shouting out to people that have been a big influence on our lives. So I had a Rav in Yeshiva many, many years ago um, called Rabbi David Walk, who gave fantastic, fantastic shirim on, on uh, Seder, on Haggadah, leading up to, to Lel Seder. And I, one thing that, that really uh, stayed with me is he said, you've got to find a way to engage everyone at your Seder. So if you've got an adult who's into history, so you can take a historical approach to the story, um, archaeology, uh, whatever it might be, football, you find a way to weave in football like you just did. Like we, you find a way to speak to everyone at your, at your Seder. Now, we know this as educators. We know this naturally. We have to find a hook. Um, on Seder night, it's it's a bigger challenge, but it's the most exciting challenge because you have people from the, you know, and it might be that this year we don't have our grandparents at the Seder night, which is a terrible shame, but we can have people, you know, we can have four generations of the same family sitting around the table and you have to find ways, all coming perhaps from different religious backgrounds as well, and that also happens, you have to find a way to engage each and every one on their own terms and find space for them at your at your, Seder, uh, your Seder table. And while I've mentioned that we might not have our grandparents or even our parents at our Seder table, um, that, that that's heartbreaking, um, but it gives us an opportunity because it could be that if it, like it was last year, if it's just our nuclear family, um, then we really get to focus. I've got five kids ranging from 18. My 18-year-old's in, Mid- in Midrashah. My youngest is in Kitabet, a seven-year-old. So engaging those two people at the same time is very difficult. It's a big challenge, but I, I'm going to have more ability to do that this year if I have a smaller Seder. So these are the, uh, the silver lining of, of the terrible pandemic we're going through thinking back to last year i just remember you know you know the week before pesach it was still even like fairly unclear about what we would and wouldn't be allowed to do just in terms of lockdown and uh covid prevention and whatever and certainly in my married life used to having either being part of or leading hosting big sadarim um you know so when we were in hong kong we would uh have like of course there were two nights uh, to Sadarim. So the first night we would do at home, but we would have like lots of people. We'd have you know, 30, 40 people in, in our apartment there. Um, 
again, all from different backgrounds and wide range of kids and people that we just met who had like flown in on their way from somewhere going somewhere else. And that was like one of the things with Hong Kong. And the second night we would host the community Seder, like the the communal um, Seder. And again, we'd have, you know, tens of people um, from all over the place. And we would spend, you know, weeks like planning and we're going to do this and we'll have to do that. And like, we'll just speed through this bit because we want to get to the next bit and we're going to try and keep everyone engaged and it's difficult and then last year when sort of the week before you know it was going to, we just knew it was going to be just us at home um you know the two of us myself my wife and our young kids we started thinking about what games can we play and what can we do to keep them engaged and this and the other and it actually it was like a, a real blessing it was a, a really really beautiful seder just the five of us at home um and just like take, taking, we decided to take the lead from the kids. You know, whatever they had learned um, on sort of what is now known as Zoom school, um, but we were all sort of like getting used to, um, sort of just taking the lead from them and letting letting them ask questions or sing whatever song they wanted to sing. And if they wanted to sing it ten times in whatever different tunes, doing that. Um, as you say, it's legislated that the kids should be engaged, in, and I think they found it more engaging and more meaningful because we were being responsive to them and you know it was it, just, it ended up you know it, it was incredibly different and this year will be different again um still not clear exactly what it will look like um but you know just recognizing that seda itself is is there to be engaged with and to be engaging um and was you know, in, in and of itself very very meaningful beautiful and that's another kind of example um, of what I mean by uh, kind of Seder night being a paradigm for best practice in education, we the, the, this obsession with asking questions is a way of empowering the kids. So it's exactly what you said. We, we let the kids lead. It's like a, it's much more you know where, wherever they want to take the discussion, um, and that's why we we urge them to to make uh, to, to ask questions because we're empowering them and we're letting them set the educational agenda, um, which we don't always get to do in so many educational systems. The content or the exam board or you know, the, the government is the focus of what the educational process should be. But here on Seder night, even though we have content, the content actually minimalistically, halakhically, we have very little we need to do on Seder night. I'm not giving Psaq halakha, I'm not a Rav, but you know, really it's about the process and the experience and the children should can and should be central to that, just as you described. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned questions, Daniel. I think, I mean, looking back to the my my classroom days i think questions that questioning and effective questioning was something that was that was that came up a lot um and just knowing that difference between you know the right questions to ask and the wrong questions to ask if you ask the wrong question when you're you know in in a classroom environment um then your students are gonna give you the wrong answers i or they'll just say you know if you ask you always say you know, ask a yes or no question then you're gonna that's it that's the end of the discussion you need to be able to ask questions that are engaging and i think that's why it's really interesting that um you know the first question that we have in the Haggadah of we know already has four answers because the Haggadah gives us four possible answers of that very question itself um if we just asked is this night different from all other nights? Then the answer would just be, yes, it is, and then move on. But the fact that we ask, why is this night different from all other nights, or what makes this, as we translate here, what makes it different from all other nights, it already gives us a paradigm in terms of questioning. Um, but I guess I'm wondering from um, 
from Daniel what you might say in terms of other ways of sort of building in questions, expanding the theme of questioning and say tonight. Um, and also Alex, just ideas from you in terms of how you kind of encourage questions and bring in questions um, into your Seder. So that's a great question. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I, think we, um, I, I think that I took my lead from Rumbum, who suggests that we give treats out to the kids. The treats that Rumbum mentions are like nuts and, and things like that. So my kids ain't going for that. So, mine, uh, so we find sugar. And it drives my wife insane uh, because I give out, I, I literally throw any time a kid asks a que- any question at any point in the Seder or gives an answer, they get they get candy or they get it's marshmallows because I can throw them, which is much more fun without injuring anyone. So so that's something that's a general theme of, um, you know, with, throughout our Seder is we encourage questions all over the place from the kids. Um, and then if you've already plugged my Haggadah, so um, I'll jump on that a little bit. Uh, that was very important for me when I wrote the Haggadah is that on every page there will be questions that could be a discussion question or just a thought question. And they're there. And and if you happen to be using this Haggadah, which has that 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 element to it, that on every page of the Haggadah, there's a question asked. Um, the kids can choose which one of those questions they want to pose to to the to the whole uh, to the whole table. Um, and the truth is, even if you're not using uh, this Haggadah, you you could encourage your children to prepare some questions beforehand, have a list of them, and then at any point in time, stop and say, right, you know, turn to this child and say, ask, do you have a question for everyone? Um, from your list that you prepared, something like that. So there's the continual, you know, questions in themselves are, I feel, experiential. You're you're asking people to consider and to think through and to put themselves in the place of, and to, uh, and it makes it much more active and interactive. So um, yeah, I mean, I, what you, you know, what you say, taking your cue from the rum button, that we're also very big on that, and it's just very convenient that Maimonides agrees that, you know. Uh, I don't want to say bribing because it's, it's uh, an unfortunate word, but incentivizing our kids to uh, ask questions and to give answers, whatever, by uh, giving them treats, whether it's like, you know, uh, whatever, small candies or um, or whatever. Um, you know, we're, we're very big into that as well in our family. Um, and I think, you know, so my my oldest is the same age as, as Daniel's youngest. Um, so sort of like just getting them to engage is is already... Um, a slightly different um, task, I suppose, than it is when when a kid's older. But I like growing up. Um, what we would do is, you know, on the table, even if it was only uh, whatever the nuclear family um, at Seder, we would have tens of Haggadah on the table, and just throughout, as Ari was saying, you know, like while someone's talking, you're sort of leafing through. Uh, a Haggadah trying to find either something interesting to say or if someone were to pose a question like to take a few minutes then to like grab something off the table um, and see if an answer is offered uh, in another Haggadah um, and that's something that sort of I've carried into my own home as an adult is that you know we sit with lots of Haggadah and my son who is able to sort of like sit and and read by himself before Pesach you know, once his room is clean for Pesach and there's no chametz in there he can take, you know, a small stack of Haggadot and he can look through and he can ask whatever questions he wants to. And, you know, it, it is very, you know, it's, it's I suppose, superficial. It's very much at the level of, of, a, of a seven, eight-year-old. Um, and, like, letting him ask questions and ask, asking his sisters, you know, do you have a question? Do you know what the answer might be? And, and whatever it is, even if they're asking something totally unrelated, just, you know, just the idea of encouragement. Because I think, it's, in my opinion at least, at the ages that my kids are, it's more about 
like encouraging them and making them feel feel good and enjoy the seder. So even if their question is totally unrelated or something we've just spoken about, it's just saying like, yeah, you know what, that's a really that's a really great question, and giving them the marshmallow and encouraging them to ask more and more and making competitions out of it. Who can ask the best question? Um, and also, and again, just like doing things that encourage them to ask, even if the question is just why. Um, so, you know, hiding things around the room or whatever it is, um, in a hope to like get them to engage and to to ask. You know, as the Haggadah encourages, you know, like, why are we doing this? You know, what's what's going on now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do. Yeah, please. Let me just jump in that because you said you said like three things I really wanted to respond to, which were all like brilliant. Uh, the last thing that I remember, the hiding things around the room, the whole Afikoman, there's Afikoman has tremendous um, kind of halachic uh, uh, weight to it as a, as part of the ritual, but not for the kids. So we turn, but we turn it into this game. But I think there's a there's a great value in that because that keeps them focused. The the whole game that we that we you know we we create around the Afikoman means that the kids are focused, even though there's no I don't know that there's anything uh, educational, an, edu- an educational message so much in the actual game, just keeping them engaged. And then even, you know, we talked about incentivizing. So there's, you know, some people have the custom to have a prize or a present that comes from that as well. Again, there's no real basis for that in our traditions, but if it keeps kids focused, and remember they have the commoners right at the end of the evening, um, I think that's great. So that's interesting. And you said you incorporate that into other parts of your Haggadah. The other thing you said, which I thought was really interesting and important, was you encourage your son to do some preparation for Seder night, like ahead of time. I, I think that's really important. I, I remember from a different school that I taught at in America, in Atlanta, so I'll give a shout out to that head of uh, school as well. That's Rabbi Lee Buckman. Um, for tefillah sessions, he would always tell the staff who were running tefillah, tefillah is like any other classroom session. It needs to be prepared for. You need to have goals. You need to decide how it's going to run. It's not just turning up and davening with your students. So everything needs intentional preparation. So the Seder night also, just turning up for Seder nights, um, and hoping that the discussion will be good is not the best best practice of education. Preparing for Seder night and, and, and in, engaging in your kids and encouraging them to prepare for Seder night because then when it comes to Seder night, they'll be much more invested is a great idea. Um, it's amazing that your sons can go to his room and read the Haggadah on his own. We're all a bit jealous of you, or I am at least anyway. That's fantastic. Um, if your child, who's either younger or, or reading skills aren't quite as advanced or, or concentration skills, Illustrated Haggadah are an amazing, amazing way to engage kids. Obviously, the Korean youth Haggadah is, is beautifully illustrated by Renat Gilboa, the very talented um, Israeli illustrator. But there are so many um, Haggadot for children that are on the market that have beautiful illustrations that on the whole are not there just because they're beautiful, but they've actually got a message behind them. Certainly, every illustration in the Korean youth Haggadah uh, is put there because it's actually telling a story or giving a message. So it could be that the child goes and looks at the pictures and then, you know, say to them, choose choose for me five pictures that really you're interested by, or you've got questions about, and on Saturday night, bring them to everyone and show the picture and we can discuss it. Yeah, I, think, I mean, the, uh, the the other one that we'd be remiss not to talk about is the, the Passover Haggadah graphic novel um, that... Karen published a couple of years ago um, by uh, it's edited by Jordan Gorfinkel, Gorf, um, and illustrated by Erez Sadok. Um, which again, like, so <laughs> I'm not giving the impression that my my eight year old son is sitting and reading and sort of, you know, doing uh, an in depth analysis of Haggadah. As I'm, he he goes into his room and he takes the kids ones. He takes the ones with illustrations and he 
he reads what he what he reads and he looks at the pictures and, and that's what he does and he, like his sisters his younger sister is are able to do that as well um but just like on the topic of preparation um i'm very eager to sort of let our listeners walk away with some sort of practical practical tips and advice and ideas that they can take into their own their own seder and one of the things that um you know my wife and i um are actually quite anti when it comes to pesach is this idea of like set pieces is you know that people come to the seder with a piece of paper and saying like i'm going to read this out i think i already mentioned this before like i'm going to read this out at you know uh after the the you know the 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 10 plagues and i'm going to read this thing out and i'm going to quote this person that person um like there's i i I think there's a, a difference between preparation and being prepared um that you know that people should you know make sure they go through the Haggadah make sure that there's there's some there's there is a framework for which the discussion can take place um but i'd be interested to hear from from Arie and, and you daniel sort of what what are the things that you know you remember from your own time growing up or from previous years that you've run or you've attended that you know were really really excellent um that you if not the thing itself if not like the message the idea that you want to repeat every year, but sort of like the the concept um, that you try to bring to the Seder table each year. I think that one of the big things in um, <clears throat> in my family growing up was obviously, um, and I'm sure with lots of families, is obviously like the songs and having the tunes that you sing and having sort of like family, like minhagim almost, like these are the tunes we sing, this is what we do. Um, you know, I, I wonder how, I guess, sort of like Halel and Niritsa, like, what role do they how do they fit in to like our approach of like seder night as like an ex- educational exper- experience um how does it fit into sort of wrapping up this this experience but i think for sure what it does is to be able to have the tunes that you'll sing together um it, it's definitely a, a way of sort of ending on a high um and sort of bring the family together in, in in a nice way at the end and that's the tunes that you do every year um and there are definitely obviously tunes that you do in seder night which you don't sing at any other time during the year um so it helps it feel like a, a special experience i think that i guess it, again looking at um different ways that people learn like we often talk about in in education in terms of you want to make sure that every child every child learns through different ways so obviously like audio or you know learning through sounds or through through music is really important and i think that we have that in the seder as well um you know and that got to you know got to the stage where you know some as the kids get older and and the parents the grandparents who might have led the songs five or eight years ago you know are maybe dropping off towards the end now are the kids able to lead the seder and carry on the same tunes that you know five However, longer it was the the parents would lead. Now the kids are leading it, and they can carry on and finish the job because they were instilled with that love um, for the tunes and uh, and the sort of that 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 practice um, that part of the seder. I think that's like really important. Um, so I, I want to talk about uh, a really important um, kind of essay or article written by Professor Barry Hazan on the principles of informal education. Um, he was the first person that's ever taken informal education seriously in an academic sense and really launched the field. Uh, and in that, this, base, this essay basically introducing these principles, he has eight principles of, of informal education. Um, um, each one, I think, is inherently found in, on Seder night. 
uh, and I've written an article on this that I can uh, that I can reference and, and share at a later date. Um, I, I think the one that comes to mind that I that I try very hard, and I think most people try very hard to replicate, it's what he calls uh, the culture of Jewish education or the holistic culture of Jewish education. What what sometimes we've called or I've called total education, which is a little bit like total football. Uh, which is a, a reference to the uh, uh, Holland team of the 70s, uh, where every player could play every position. So here we're talking about everything in the room, including the room, is part of the educational process. And Sadenite does that brilliantly, but gives us the inspiration to continue that process. So what do I mean? The food on Sadenite is part of the educational experience. Maro, matzah, then we add to that, because those are halachic, but then we add to that with haroset and the salt water and then boiled eggs. Those are all extras that we've added on. So why not add even more on? Um, and what else in the room can be? Because we uh, you know, we learned this from Machaneh, from, from camp, where where if you want to give your, your chanechim an experience, you make sure that the experience is holistic and surrounds them completely. So you make sure that the walls and the way the madrachim are dressed and, 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 and the lighting, everything delivers the educational message. So we should do that on Seder night as well. So if that means dressing up, we should dress up. And in fact, Sfaradim, I think, are much better than Ashkenazim are doing this. And Rambam writes about it also in Hilchot Chametz Matzah, where he talks about dressing up as if we're actually going out of Egypt. Some Sardin have the custom to walk around the table with matzah in a bag on their shoulder, jumping over buckets of water to, to simulate the Kriyat Yamsuf, the spilling of the Red Sea. Red sea. Um, these are all like, you know, there are so many things like this that we can do. It's become very trendy since the invention of social media. And therefore, everyone has to post it on the Erev Pesach of what your Seder table is going to look like involving Lego, whatever it might be. And the kids are involved in that. You create a scene of Kriyat Yamsuf on the Seder table. Those are really, really cute ideas to make sure that everything in the room is delivering the experience, including the amount of pillows that are on the on the chair. Some people have a custom of decorating the, the father's chair so that it looks like a throne. Um, there are so many different ways we can do this, but you know, it's all about intentionality and preparation. Think about how the the Seder night, uh, uh, the, the logistics of the Seder night um, can deliver, continue to deliver the educational themes that are found in the Haggadah. Yeah, that's something as well, as in the, you mentioned like the, the different uh the different customs and different sort of activities from different communities. Um, and that's when we had growing up as well. As in, you know, we're, the three of us come from, you know, Northwest London, uh, you know, UK background. It was very sort of Ashka normative, as they say. Um, but like, I remember even growing up, like we had, we would have like discussions of different, different customs that different uh, communities had and like, um, you know, like how they might have developed and that sort of thing. And there's just to, to plug a third one. There was a Haggadah published last year by Corinne. Um, called the Haggadat Haggadat Min Hagim, I think it's called, um, which it goes it goes to the the, the Haggadah, and it's not got much commentary or anything, but it talks about like different Jewish communities, where they come from, their history, and the different customs and uh, and things that sort of have developed and that are now spreading around the world. Um, which you know, and I think the common theme under all of them is this idea of like bringing bringing it to life, but. You know, getting getting the the conversation moving, getting the discussion sort of flowing, um, and like you know, truly experiencing experiencing the experiencing the uh, the Haggadah. Um, there's, I mean, some, something we haven't spoken about, and perhaps we should, um, which is you know, what a seder looks like for someone who's 
not with their family or even someone a seder for someone who's by themselves again this is you know we we start the the Haggadah by saying like called it and called it like anyone anyone who needs or anyone who wants should come and join us um but then you know there are people every year but especially last year and potentially this year again depending on on regulations and um, people who end up by themselves like my grandmother for example i know she ended up um because in the uk um you know people weren't allowed to leave their homes um so my grandmother ended up uh by herself for pesach um so i'd be interested you know for uh something we could discuss here um of what someone who is by themselves or someone who is in a uh, much more reduced setting or a smaller setting than they usually might be, uh, what can they do to, to enhance their Seder? I was at a family bar mitzvah two weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and, and sadly, none of the parents' generation could be there. They were all in England. Um, so the, I was actually the oldest person there, which was a bit mortifying. Um, and we were like, you know, where are all the grown-ups in the room? Um, the grandmother of the Bamitsa, who's my, my wife's aunt, shout out to Auntie Mindy, um, she uh, made sure that she wanted to be represented there and she wrote some things. She's a very talented lady. She wrote an amazing poem, shtick, song that was read out. She wrote a, a short Torah that was read out. And I and I wrote to her after, after Shabbat and I said, you know, it was um, really uh, tragic for us uh, and for you, obviously, as well, that you couldn't be there. But your presence was felt through these things that you did. So I'm wondering if that's maybe a, a, an idea that if someone, if there's members of your family that won't be able to be at your seder table, or members of your family who will be on their own, that in again with preparation, that we can still um, impact each other's sedarim by sending, I would say, shorts because no one wants to read long messages out. Uh, but some of those ideas uh, that you would be sharing at the at the seder table, why don't you send send them ahead of time and get your kids to to, to draw paintings. Uh, Pesach themed paintings to send to their grandparents who they won't be able to be with so that they can look at them and enjoy them and connect to them uh, on Seder night. There was a story that went around last year about um, how in 1988 um, the Lubavitcher um his wife passed away and uh, he was left on his own. They had no children. Um, and the story is that various people invited him to join them for Seder that year. Um, and he he declined and said that he wanted to spend Seder uh, in his private office in 770. And so ironically, um, you know, the leader of of, uh, of Lubavitch, of Chabad, who are known for their huge Sadarim worldwide, you know, in Kathmandu with hundreds of people to ensure they have Seder, had Seder on his own in his private office. Um, and, and, you know, they told the story that, some of the boys in the yeshiva didn't go home. They waited outside in the street. They saw the Rebbe open the door, come out to do a welcome Eliyar Navi and say Shvachamatcha. And he came out and, you know, with his, uh, with his Haggadah, he gave them a wave and they went back inside and he finished Seder by himself. Um, and I think that uh, it's, no one, I guess, knows what the Rebbe did in his office for his Seder. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that he chose to have Seder on his own, I think is I guess an important lesson to say you know that it can be done um though it is obviously definitely you know a, a challenging experience and um but I think you know a lot of the things that we've talked about especially like questions and this idea that even if you're on your own you still have to ask the questions you still have to ask the manashtana yes you still have to read that because it's inbuilt um I, I think that, that you know all, all, all the elements that we've said sort of how the Haggadah plays that role in building the experience 
you know, hopefully can 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 work and can help somebody on their own. And then I think at the same time as well, like Daniel said, you know, there's very little in the Haggadah that's really halakhically mandated. And I think it's for every person to to find how how they can make that experience meaningful, whether they are, you know, a seder of one or of a seder of 10, 15, 20, or even 100. You remind me of a conversation I was having with, um, with Shira Greenspan, who is both a, a, an incredible educator um, and is the host of, of the uh, I've Got a Question podcast, part of the current podcast network, and the new podcast we've done this year for, um, for kids to help them prepare for Pesach. Um, and she was saying that uh, she was having a discussion with someone else, I think it was, um, talking about like things you can do uh, with your kids to help them pre- prepare for Pesach, certainly younger kids. Um, and she was saying like one of the things they can do is like rather than giving your kids like the the cheap sort of, you know, dollar store um, like arts and crafts projects to do before before the Seder or before Pesach and like whatever, either you'll just chuck them in the, Pes- in the Pesach box before you put it back into storage or, you know, worse, you'll throw it in the garbage. Um, she was saying like, talk to your kids about like how um, how Pesach and how Seder is like, is the thing that links us back to our parents and their parents and their parents and going back generations to the Exodus and say to your kids, like, why don't you create something, whether it's decorating a Seder plate or a pillow cover for, for leaning at the Seder or like a little prop or, you know, whatever, a shtick and like, you know, really work hard on it and plan it out and do it because maybe one day you can take it out and uh, show it to your grandchildren at, at your Seder, you know, 60, 70 years from now. And I thought that's like a really, a really beautiful idea that, you know, even if you can't be with people, um, but to have like these physical connections. Um, I know like I personally, like I, I do react sort of very uh, strongly to like those physical connections that you can have to these things. I'm saying like this, this is the thing that, we do at our Seder. Um, so now, I mean, not necessarily changing the subject per se, but we've spoken a little bit about some of the uh, the things you can bring to the Seder, whether it's, you know, questions to ask or, you know, shtick, um, whatever, to try and make the Seder more meaningful for adults, for children. Um, what are your what are your do's and don'ts? Um, I mean, we've, we've shared a lot of you know, the, the positive side. Um, just for me... Something that we try and avoid a lot. We mentioned we don't like the set pieces. Um, just like, for example, like you can buy all these things in in uh, in the shops now uh, to try and get people engaged. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I personally really don't like um, is like the the Makot finger puppets. You can get these finger puppets for the ten plagues. Um, like I I think those send the wrong educational message. Um, you know, they're sort of making light of something that even in the Haggadah we talk about being. Uh, you know, I mean, they were they were there to punish punish the Egyptians, uh, you know, to force uh, Paro's hand and to uh, send the people out of Egypt, um, and then we sort of like turn them into these cute little puppets. Even like there's one for Makat Bukharot for the death of the firstborn, um, which I think is a little bit macabre. Um, like we don't prefer those. Um, I think is probably the most polite way I could say that. Um, so what are your um, what are your do's and don'ts? Um, I feel like I, I've mentioned some, so I don't want to repeat. But um, I don't know that there are too many don'ts that I can think of. If it's fun, we should do it. There can be so much more than that. And I actually wonder if, if those kind of props can also be created for other parts of the Haggadah that we don't normally do, like Dayenu. Dayenu, there are 15 stages 
of the Exodus story that we thank Hashem for, and we show gratitude for. Um, I wonder if there are ways to, to create either games or experiences or props around each of those 15. The truth is, Dayenu is a fun song that everyone enjoys. So maybe finding the other parts of Agada that are less engaging and making them more engaging by creating props around them. Um, but there are so many, I mean, the, the concept of creating props is we're taking the lead of the Bal Haggadah, who tells us exactly to do that, lift the Seder plate here and cover it and uncover it and, um, you know, and point to the Mara and then eat the Mara. And then, you know, this is what the, the night is about. And so for us to continue that process, I think is is, uh, is exactly what the Bal Haggadah had in mind and what we should be doing. I think that um, I'm, traditionally the family Sadaran that we had um, were fairly shtick light um and as such um in, in my head i don't necessarily associate Satan night with loads of um props and shtick um but i think it's really important um, and i think like daniel said and he mentioned before as well that like it's it, it's really down to your family it's really down to what will work for the people at your seder um it doesn't it it doesn't make sense for me to be like oh you know people who use those you know Ten plagues, finger puppets. It's so cringy. If that works, if that excites the people at the seder about the ten plagues, like great. Um, like like you know, like I said before, like no two sadarim should be the same. Um, I think it's it's definitely like whatever is new, creative can work. Um, I think it's really important to have. I I think for sure again something we haven't necessarily touched upon that's definitely relevant is that like, um definitely for the younger generation or everyone to call them our kids are that in general their stimulations what, what they see what they watch how they experience and consume information is so different to even how we did when we were children and obviously definitely with the generation before us and and we've got to bear that in mind like if you want say tonight to for them to see, feel as relevant and as exciting as whatever they're doing you know, while, you know, we're cleaning for the two hours before Chag, you know, it's got to be exciting. It's got to be interactive. It's got to be um, audio visual experience because we want this to feel, yes, as if we are leaving Egypt, but as if we're leaving Egypt in 2021, not as if we're leaving Egypt and just doing Pesach Mitzrayim in Pesach Madiin or Pesach London or Pesach New York, whatever it is. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I disagree. I, you know, I think if it's something that works for you, if it's something that can be a springboard for discussion or for um, a conversation or educationally, whatever. If you, if you think it serves a purpose, then yeah, go for it. Um, I, you know, as I said, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly it's absolutely a personal feeling. I think something that I'm definitely taking from our conversation is that so much of of what you make Seda is based on personal preference, personal experience, and you have this text from which to work, the Haggadah, um, but everything else, you know, everything else, Harizem Shubach, as the Haggadah says, everything else you do, you know, great, fantastic, good for you. Um, you know, I, I of course don't mean to be disparaging of, of anyone and what they do. Um, it's, it's very much a personal preference um, or a personal um uh, whatever the antonym would be, um, you know, we, we we don't like it, but we do have conversation about what the market were, um, why the market were, uh, and so forth. 
I think, you know, we, we've all been talking about like drawing inspiration from growing up. Um, but I think you're right. Like it is very important that like we have to make sure that whoever's sitting around with us or even if we're just going to be by ourselves to make sure that we're like um, keeping up to date, that we're that the children will be engaged by the things that they find engaging as in, um, you know, <laughs> when like growing up, we had the, the Rugrats Pesach episode that they would sort of wheel out and show us uh, in school every year. Um, and then, then along came the Prince of Egypt with, you know, all of its amazing animation and, and songs and stories. And I think like, just, it, just even like, in, like, again, La Havdel, but like, uh, drawing inspiration from there and sort of just keeping up with the times, I think is, I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, that I don't want to say like going down to your kid's level because it, it, it shouldn't be condescending. It shouldn't be sort of in a, in a patronizing fashion, but I think like, meeting your kids where they are or meeting your guests where they are or meeting you know whoever's there you know at their level um i think is is the key point and just having things having things available to to discuss and to sort of foster conversation i think if anything it's not going down it's definitely an up like the the way that our kids are consuming information now requires us to up right. our game You're it's right. not about going down to them like we have to up our game like for sure like the expectation on the leader of the Seder, or as my mum's Haggadah calls it, the celebrant, um, is it's is the, you know the responsibility on the celebrant is is higher than ever. Um, one of the things I often think about is yeah, like textbooks, like kids, like the idea that kids learn from textbooks is just like just I just I don't if it still exists. I haven't been in a school for a while, but if it still exists, it's surely not going to exist for that much longer um you know the, just the idea of um, learning information like kids have the internet like that's where you consume information from now um so if we want education more more to be more than just acquiring information if we want mm. it to be meaningful and relevant like we have to up our game um and, and like you said like meet them where they're at and and and, and make sure it's exciting and inspiring yeah i mean i, I somebody who's far more technically able than I am and, and with it, uh, then certainly me. I don't want to sort of lump you two in with with my, uh, uh, <laughs> with where I'm at. But, you know, just like whatever, I don't know, like a, a TikTok 10 plagues or whatever it is, just finding something to engage engage the kids. And I think that's like the wonderful thing as well about like, uh, you know, my, my, my kids are young, but they still like, they love like the Maccabees and the the six one three sort of Pesach songs every year and the Hanukkah and the Purim songs, like that for them is is part of what it is, and they reference it, um, they reference it, they reference it even throughout the year, um, and then you have things like you know the Youth Haggadah, um, that, that Daniel put together and the the graphic novel Haggadah that we published a couple of years ago, and and like countless others, um, that like that. Just the kids are engaging with in a, in, a, in a very, very different way to I think like was available to us growing up, and none of us are, are, are that young. Um, none of the three of us are that young, um, but like just the work, just how. All right, you're right. Like just how things, how media is consumed by kids, and like the rate at which their like their engagement switches from one thing to the next, and trying to keep up with that is is a task. That's the challenge for us on season night when we can't engage in technology, uh, how, how we can replicate it. And, and uh, it's something really to think about.
an idea for the next Tagada. Okay, so we'll open this uh, because we've been talking for a while, and although people listening might be uh, might have spent the last hour cleaning, uh, we certainly need to get off and do so. Um, so let's uh, just do a quick fire question. Uh, the first thing that pops into your head, everyone on the Zoom, um, two things. Uh, what's your favourite part of the Seder? And what is your favourite thing about Pesach? Uh, you know, things to eat, a thing to do, not at the Seder itself. Uh, Daniel, let's start with you again. So I, I, I feel like we haven't spoken about much the songs at the very end. Uh, I love the songs at the end. It's a shame that we're all a bit tired and the kids have gone like nuts by then. But I think this, especially there's so much fun, but there's actually a lot of education that's in there that's possible to bring out. I don't think I've ever met anyone that actually spends the time then to talk educationally about them because we're all quite tired. But at least they should be fun. And everyone has their, just like Awe was talking about before, their, their family tunes and their family customs during that. So I really, really enjoy that part of the Seder. And, um, and, and I hate all Pesach food. I hate cinnamon and coconut and macaroon. I hate all of that. But I am a world champion matzah bright maker. And my kids ask me for matzah bright all year round. So that's what I look forward to. Yeah. Is it a matzo briar? So you're a matzo briar. So this is. The, <laughs> I'm so a champion matzo briar. I don't know if this is going to sort of uh, have my Judaism revoked, but I've never eaten matzo bry. I don't know <laughs> what it is. You might as well be smarty then, right? right. You, might as well, you might as well eat kidney oats. It's, <laughs> it's also it's not like a it's not a thing to do with like gabrok. It's I just literally no idea what it is. Never had it, never tasted it. So we'll have you oh, round this coming, year. I'm coming round. Bring your Tavia Rock, we'll have you round. <laughs> <laughs> Lockdown be damned, I'm going to the roses. Ari, what about you? Um, I think, well, my favourite part of the Seder, I think, is, um, I guess, um, the meal. No, um, I, th- I think Dayenu is like a really important part. I think uh, if anyone has not read it yet so Rav Menachem Liebtag has like an amazing essay uh, or sheer on Magid which like basic and Dayenu which basically completely changes the way I was the annoying person at the Seder the year first year that I read it and was like no but now it's like this and now it's like this telling everyone no you can't think like you can't look at Magid any other way um, and just seeing Dayenu was like a culmination of like the process of Magid I think sort of um, definitely like uh, made it a highlight for me um, in t- terms of favourite uh Pesach activity. Uh, I think something that I, I love not to dig it into, not to um, rub it in even for our, our listeners outside of Israel. Um, definitely something missing from our Pesach last year and perhaps will return this year is just the Cholomoid outing. Um, there's nothing like the feeling of sort of the whole of Israel out enjoying Cholomoid with their matzah sandwiches. Everyone thinking they're so cool for using their matzah box as their lunchbox. Um, and it's just like a great feeling um, of like enjoying like the Chag of um, enjoying Cholomoid as well. And just, you know, that's that's what it means to uh, to be uh, to be free on Pesach is to be out and enjoying uh the uh, Eretz Israel in all its uh, in all its glory. Um, I, I'll answer my own question, but I think my uh, I think the bit of seder that I look forward to the most is I, th- I think it's actually korech, as in just like that element of like really sort of not just because it's food, but like harking back to like the uh, real thing, sort of saying this is what somebody did. Like we know Hillel from all over the place from from Perakei Avot and from Lani Mishnah and from Lani Gemara, like, and then she's engaging with, with my kids and talking about, like, this is, this is Korban Pesach, and now, now imagine this was a shawarma. And, like, that's what Korban Pesach really is. And we have, 
we have a tradition of how much I think lots of people do is that on Pesach Sheni, a month after Pesach, that we do make sure for dinner that that day to have to have a shawarma. And um, but like for me at least, uh, that's like the most tangible sort of connection uh, to the past. Um, uh, I'd say that. And the thing I look forward to most, um, just sticking on on to food, is there is n- nothing tastes better, and I will I will fight someone about this. Nothing tastes better than the egg and salt water you have at Seder. It doesn't taste good at any other time of year. If like just on a random Thursday you decide oh, I'm going to have that for like a snack mid morning, it doesn't taste as good. But it is the most delicious thing at Seder night, in my opinion. I'm wondering what your wife would say about that. <laughs> she doesn't listen to this, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> on that note, on that note, uh, thank you, Daniel, so much for joining us. Uh, it's always always so much fun to to talk to you. Um, so much for having me. Chag kasher v'sameach to everyone. Chag sameach. That's it for this week's episode of the Current Podcast. Thank you so much to all of you for joining us. Um, it might not be too late to do some uh, Pesach shopping, so please head over to currentpub.com um, and you can get 10% off your purchase with promo code PODCAST at checkout. Make sure to follow us on social media at Current Publishers uh, and you can be in touch with us by email podcast at currentpub.com. Um, also, uh, we mentioned a couple of things uh throughout the course of the show um, the articles that Daniel Rose and Ari mentioned will both be linked in the show notes um, and also the brand new podcast uh, from the current podcast network I've got a question hosted by Shira Greenspan it's a really fantastic way uh, to help your kids get in the mood for the hug so please do go and give that a listen uh, straight away um, we're going to take a short break now um, and we will see you again after Pesach um, and so all that's left to do is to from all of us. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Shira Greenspan, and I'm thrilled to tell you about a brand new podcast just for kids. I've got a question. Over the next few weeks, I'll be talking to some incredible experts from around the world to answer the questions that people just like you have sent in about Pesach. We'll be talking about why parts of the Haggadah feel boring and what we can do to make them more exciting. Why is there so much blood in the Pesach story? It's gross! And what would it be like to build our very own Pesach theme park? We'll talk about tips, tricks, jokes, and more. I'm so excited and I can't wait for you to hear it. Ask your parents to download I've Got a Question or listen yourself wherever podcasts are found. If you have a question about anything for a future episode of I've Got a Question, send a voice note to me at podcast at I've Got a Question is part of the Corin Podcast Network.